Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, September 18th. It was a sneaky, fun weekend in the pro tennis world. Yes, the four majors are behind us here in 2023, but we had two tour-level events on the women's side in Osaka and San Diego, both producing plenty of exciting tennis throughout the course of the weekend. You had a very fun Davis Cup weekend on court. Now, there are certainly some big picture issues for Davis Cup moving forward. We can discuss some of them here on today's show. But if you actually watched any of the tennis, if you went and checked out any of the highlights on YouTube, there are a lot of fun nuggets that I want to discuss here on today's show. So we'll get into all of that. We'll talk about what was a fantastic carry challenger, Zach Svida, two-time USTA Kalamazoo champion, earning the title there. We have Rinky Hijikata continuing his charge up the top 100 of the rankings. I want to recap everything that unfolded across levels in the pro tennis world. Of course, I do want to start today's podcast with a massive thank you to everyone at the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation Open. It was such a special weekend for our Crack Rackets team. And to Bill, Bruce, Donna, Lisa, everyone who had to tolerate my nonsense throughout the course of the weekend, all of the players, teams from Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Tulsa, providing some really exciting tennis. It was a very, very different event than you're accustomed to seeing world team tennis format. And, you know, again, the five sets, the rapid fire action, the sudden death breakers, the overtime periods that we got to highlight that on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. That's what it's all about. That's why we started this company. So again, a thank you to everyone who participated in that event, who allowed our team to shine a spotlight on it, raised a lot of money for a good cause as well, that Oklahoma Tennis Foundation providing countless opportunities to people throughout the state of Oklahoma to get started in the tennis world. And if you're looking for a recap of that event, I'm actually going to discuss it with our dear friend John Parsons over on our Great Shot podcast feed. There were so many college tennis players in action at that event. It qualifies as a or as an event, that's proper grammar, qualifies as an event to cover in our summer editions of The Deciding Point, where, of course, we break down all of the results for players with college ties in the tennis world. So if you're looking for a recap of the tennis that unfolded, check out that Great Shot podcast episode on Tuesday. If you want to go back and rewatch some of the action, see what I'm talking about, go check out our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. That's it again. Osaka, Davis Cup, San Diego, Cary. That's the mission for today. Today's episode. The reason we're able to do all that is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and, of course, the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. You use our promo code. Not only we let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point, symbol, not the spelling tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 all right it was difficult to figure out where to start today's show 
I want to go with Ashlyn Kruger's maiden title in Osaka because Kruger is a player, if you've nerded out with us here at Crack Rackets over the years, that we've discussed as one of the rising young talents in the game. And this past week, she captured her first tour-level title, the 19-year-old dropping just one set on her way to the title in Osaka wins over, excuse me, dropping no sets. Good good reading, Alex. Dropping no sets on her way to the title in Osaka. A win over top 50 player Julin, three and six to clinch things. What was so magnificent from Kruger was how she started that match in the final. Races out to a three-love lead. I believe she had eight winners in those opening three games and... The quality that stands out to me so mightily in her game, obviously, I've talked about the power, the depth she can produce on every ground stroke. You've often heard me, though, discuss my fondness for backhands down the line, dare I say, that shot, that ability to play that shot, open up the rest of the court, put yourself in a uh, position to change direction, and again, now assert yourself on your front foot. I always point that quality out whenever I see it. For Kruger, yes, she has an overwhelming backhand line, but it's her ability to get outside the ball on those ground strokes. Her backhand cross, it dominated Julin through the first 45 minutes of this match. And I've mentioned this before for Julin, who, by the way, I believe this was her third semifinal of the year on hard court, second final of the year. Uh, she won the title in Huajin back in the start of February. Obviously, she's been at a career high all year long now, sitting at 31 in the live rankings, has had a fantastic season on hard court. She's now, with this result, 30-19 and 19 overall in the year, 30 of her 34 wins on the surface. She struggles when she's pressed by elite pace and particularly elite pace that stretches her into the outer thirds. That's what Kruger did. That was so impressive. And for those of you who may have followed this match at home, you'll recall that there was a moment, Julin up 6-5 in the breaker, serving on a set point in that second set. Never had a clean look on that set point. And it's because, again, Kruger swung so freely and was able to get Julin stretch by opening things up. First, a, a forehand cross court, which Julin is forced to pull line because she was stretched. Then Kruger explodes into a backhand cross. And, you know, all of a sudden, Julin's on her back foot. Kruger's able to produce an, uh, coax an error out of the top seed. Set point fought off. Then from there, again, Kruger stays explosive. She kept swinging so freely throughout the course of the week. And look, was it the toughest draw on her way to the final? No, not necessarily. A very good 3 and one win over Kalinskaya in the quarters. Obviously, you beat a top 35 player in the world in Julin in the finals. It's a legit title run. But, you know, wins over Ponche, Hantama, about as ideal of a semifinal opponent as you can hope for. The straight set win over Bandel in round number one. Still, all you can ask of someone, beat the players you're you're better than. Beat the players you're supposed to beat. That's how you progress up the rankings. And for an Ashlyn Kruger who began the year outside the top 150, she ended last season sitting at 178 in the rankings, now up to a new career high of number 73. And what does that mean? Perspective on what the 19-year-olds accomplish? There are five teenagers right now in the top 100 of the WTA singles rankings. U.S. Open champ Coco Goff, two-time tour-level finalist this season, Linda Naskova, Mira Andreeva, who's made the second week of a major, 16 years old. We know how promising she is. We talked so much throughout the course of the year of Diana Schneider, who had a fantastic year at NC State and, you know, has also made a tour-level final this year. And 
pushed Maria Sakkari to the brink in that second round Australian Open match. And then you have Ashlyn Kruger. Those are your five teenagers. No longer Linda Fruvertova, who's fallen out of the top 100, but obviously belongs in that discussion. It's Goff, Naskova, Andreeva, Kruger, Schneider. It's a special list of players to be on. And again, for Ashlyn Kruger, this is someone who was the top-ranked junior in her class, wins the San Diego title, which for the USTA Girls 18s, that's the premier national championship, Get, got her a wild card into that 2021 U.S. Open main draw. She wins the Orange Bowl, I believe, at the end of 2020 as well. That's another one of the six premier junior events on the calendar Obviously, you, you see Kruger. She's tall. She has the massive weapons. The serve can be an absolute, you know, elite point starter when she's landing it well. And, you know, throughout the course of the week, she was broken a total of four times in five matches. Ashlyn Kruger's into the top 100. That was one of our post-U.S. Open storylines, and we can immediately put it to bed. She wins her first title. This is a year where she's made her first two tour-level quarterfinals. She won her highest-level result earlier in June, a 125K prior to this Osaka title run. Ashlyn Kruger's the real deal. And look, again, it's a good week for Julin, up to a new career high, number 31 overall in the uh, rankings. And, you know, again, a second final for her this season. Julian's got real weapons. She got a very impressive 5-6 and six victory in the semifinals over the talented Wang Xinyu, who, by the way, the 21-year-old from China, she's currently sitting at a career-high 37 in the live rankings. It's a good week for Julian. Ashlyn Kruger steals the headline. I mean, again, it's just how easy the power is off of her racket, her ability to disrupt opponents' rhythm, her ability to use her size to beat you to the spot, her comfort level moving forward. I thought we saw a lot of it throughout the course of the week in Osaka because, again, she does create such easy opportunities for herself. Now, you know, still hasn't won a match at a slam, but despite that, has managed to work her way into the top 100. And now we'll get into the main draw of the Australian Open on her own ranking. Again, Ashlyn Kruger, 40-22 and 22 on the year, 65% win percentage, just below our two-thirds rule, but obviously continues to progress up the rankings when you win your first tour-level title. Otherwise, in Osaka, you know, again, good semifinal for Wang Xinyu. Yes, she gets knocked out by the top seed, five and six, but you look for the 21-year-old from China whose birthday coming up next week. Now 34-21 and 21 overall on the season. She's made six different quarterfinals, four at the tour level, all of them on hard courts. She is one of the 50 best hardcore players in the world. Her serve, her forehand combination. Obviously, we saw her make a little bit of a run at the U.S. Open as well, reaching the second week. Wang Chenyu is one of those players you circle, not for a big breakout, but maybe a name you start to learn inside the top 35, top 30, making round of 16's quarters at bigger events next year that you weren't accustomed to knowing before. Keep your eye out for her. Again, I feel like we've talked about her so much. We got to see her front row in Cleveland. And, you know, again, she has been one of the mini B, uh, lowercase B breakout players of 2023. That said, that's my Osaka breakdown. I want to move next to Davis Cup because there were so many fascinating developments throughout the course of the week. Let's start with Great Britain, France. Just what was singularly the most exciting match of the week, maybe across levels in the tennis world. And look, obviously at Cracked Rackets, we're massive advocates of the team format in tennis. It brings a camaraderie 
It brings a degree of energy that you not only can bring as an athlete on the court with fans behind you, but with teammates behind you, you can share that energy as well. And it just raises the stakes for everyone involved. All of that is on display within the course of a team event. And, you know, to get to play in front of what was it, a record crowd, 13,000 people in Great Britain to have the opportunity to have this match come down to a sudden death deciding doubles rubber. And I do like the amended format of two singles matches and a doubles rubber for all of these Davis Cup ties. I do like the concept of group play. I like that the action is frequent throughout the course of the week, that it can dominate a week and, you know, not just one weekend. It is tough, though, because what made that Great Britain-France match so special, not only did it come down to a deciding doubles rubber, it came down to a deciding tiebreaker in a deciding set in a deciding doubles rubber, and it was played in front of a home crowd. And those teams that had the opportunity to play in front of home crowds, I thought in particular for the Brits uh, in Manchester, I thought the Italians actually had a really fun crowd in Italy. And ultimately, yes, they lost to Canada, but I thought that is what propelled them forward in their matches against Chile, in their match against Sweden. I thought even the Croatian crowd wasn't always the largest, but every match Croatia played was competitive. And given, you know, in their singles matches, they were featuring what? Borna Goyo, Dino Prismic, no Borna Choric. Those home atmospheres made a difference. And I guess, again, I'm jumping all over the map here. I do apologize for that fact, but there has to be a happy medium of, I have no problem with group play. And if we want to organize the groups geographically. I know that gets tough. USA, Canada, probably the massive winners in that exchange because there are so many European countries, typically uh, Serbia, Great Britain, France, even Netherlands, Croatia, Finland, Italy, Spain, traditionally, all these powers, what you're going to group them all together. That's where things get tricky. And then what do you do? Australia, China, South Korea and potentially Japan if Anishioka or Anishikori is having a very good season and puts them in the mix. If you do that geographically, can you still maintain that home tie atmosphere? I mean, for all those Pacific countries to have to travel to and fro throughout the course of a week, that is a lot of travel to ask for. I saw, I believe it was Alex Bantilla uh, hypothesized the uh, the excuse me World Cup format where you do it once every four years and you kind of spread it out across a continent throughout the course of a month. I, I need to bring on more minds. I need to have the conversation. I haven't been particularly sold one way or the other. I will say the home crowd is what makes this event so special. And to go full circle here, watching Neil Skupski down a mini break 4-3 in that deciding third set break or rip a backhand line after he gets stretched on an out wide serve. You know, Mahout lets that ball drop. It drops just inside the baseline. Mini break gotten back for all in the breaker. Then Dan Evans with the half volley backhand of a lifetime at five all in that breaker. Skupski, two fantastic reaction volleys before Roger Vaseline dumps a backhand volley in the net. You know, again, to see Skupski erupt after his match point serve draws a long return. And Great Britain, who was 2-0 going into the tie, but had to win it given Australia was 2-1. And And a France win would have put them at 2-1. And then You know, all of a sudden, Great Britain would have been 5-4 overall in their ties, and France and Australia would have had 6-3 individual match records, and so Great Britain would not have advanced despite going 2-1. It was a must 
win doubles rubber for the Brits, and all thirteen thousand members of that Manchester crowd helped power uh, crowd. Excuse me, helped power them through. Fantastic doubles, you know. Again, for Evans, Evans just seems to find another level when he competes for the Brits, and for him to beat Demon Hour, for him to come from a set down, beat Arthur Fee again, what turned out to be an essential win in this tie with France. I'm buying all the Arthur Fee stock, and by the way, we're doing a buy, sell, hold show, uh, two of them this week on the Great Shot Podcast. David Kane, Gil Gross going to be joining me to talk about the stock up, stock down, stock hold players to look at down the home stretch of this season. Arthur Fee is an unequivocal stock up. He was right there. Dan Evans, though, inspired tennis. You know, Cam Nora did continue to struggle. Tough losses for him. I believe he went 0-2 in his singles matches throughout the course of the weekend. He drops a tight one to Umber in that France match. I th- I forget who else knocked him. Oh, and loses a, uh, a tough one to Stan as well in the Switzerland match. But it was great to see Murray compete. And obviously, after he loses his grandmother, for him to have that moment in front of that crowd, a come-from-behind three-set victory, you know, just what the doctor ordered... There were moments when Davis Cup was really special, and look, there are some significant storylines to rapid fire through them all on the tennis side of things. Do we start with the feel good or the feel bad? Let's start with the feel good. Canada, the defending Davis Cup champions, no Shapovalov, no Felix Ogier Aliassim, they go 8-1, 8-1, excuse me, in individual matches throughout the weekend. Gab Diallo beats Lorenzo Musetti. Shout out to the former Kentucky All-American. I'm telling you, he just has weapons. And for him to move as well as he does at that size, Gab Diallo will be a a future top 100 player. Lexi Galarno, is he the biggest? No. His ability to maximize everything he can do, and he is good at everything. He beats Sanego. He beats everyone, and he was undefeated throughout the course of the week, playing doubles with Pospisil as well. They go undefeated, I believe, because I think the only loss was a Diallo. I want to say three-setter, maybe a straight-setter. But they go 8-1. and one. They advance in Italy to another Davis Cup quarterfinal scene. And Italy, after losing to Canada, they rebound. They advance wins over Chile and Sweden. I mean, again, that's it's a good win for Italy, especially, you know, for Musetti, Senego to pull through. No sinner in action for them. They'll take it. They move on. But Canada is through. That That's a massive tennis storyline. Again, the Brits, Australia, they're through. Australia playing just, I mean, the, this entire group was thrilling. And you look for France, 3-0 win over Switzerland. Then they drop 2-1 ties to both uh Australia and Great Britain in those matches. You know, Great Britain again, three set win for Evans over Fee, seven six in the third win for Evans and Skupski over Mahout and Roger Vaseline in the France match. You know, Manorino straight set win over Purcell, uh, but then Demon a straight set win over Umber, Ebden Purcell, excellent doubles in a five and three win over Mahout and Roger Vaseline. I mean, again, that's that's the group of death. The, all three of those teams good enough to advance. I think if you throw any of them, Great Britain, Australia, France, in that uh, Czech Republic group, which features the Czech Republic, Serbia, Spain, Carrillo, then again, who do you take out of that group? Obviously, for Spain, they didn't have Alcaraz. Ultimately, Spain goes one and two. Serbia did have Djokovic, so you knew they were ultimately advancing. And, you know, they get 3-0 wins over Spain, over South Korea. I don't believe Djokovic played in the Czech Republic match, which was ultimately the match they lost. Indeed, he did not. 
I mean, shout out to the Czechs. 3-0 weekend. They didn't drop a set. Lehechka, really good ball throughout the course of the weekend in that Serbia match. He gets a, a straight set win over Laszlo Jura. Of course, indoor hard courts, he should win that match in straights, but he does. You know, against Spain, he gets a 6-5 and five win over Davidovic Fokina. And shout out to Thomas Majcek, 4-4 four four over Zapata Moraes. That probably clinched the deal in terms of the Czech Republic advancing. Yeah, you probably throw France in that group. Just make things a little bit more in. Oh, do you throw? Fr- I mean, again, there are some. You no, know, you probably throw France if we're being honest in Group Number D, given how poor the Americans played. And you know, again, your eight teams advancing: Canada, Italy, Great Britain, Australia, the Czech Republic, and Serbia, and Finland and the Netherlands, who advance over Croatia and the USA. And look, to some extent, this was a disaster for the Americans to see Tiafa lose a really tight, ma- uh, you know, a tough match to Borna Goyo in straight sets, to see Tommy lose in straight sets, to Vandesen Schkulp for Mackey to have a match point. Although, again, Otto Vertanen, what an exceptional shot he hit on that match point to fight it off. But for Mackey to lose that match, I mean, look, the Americans lost 2-1 to Croatia. You got the win, of course, from Mackey over Prismich, uh, Tiafo getting knocked out by Goyo, but then Krejcik Ram, the win in doubles. 2-1 loss to the Netherlands. Vandesen Schkulp, Griekspoor beating Tommy and Tiafo respectively. I mean, look, Tommy and Francis are two of the top 15 players in the world in the rankings. And yes, Griekspoor, Vandesen Schkulp, they're also top 40 players. Indoor hard courts, one of those guys got to get a win because I'll tell you what, if it's coming down to Krejcik and Ram, I'll take them every time. And they go two and one on the weekend. They lose the deciding rubber to Finland, but or excuse me, they lose the third rubber to Finland. But at that point, the match had already been decided because Rusevori ultimately beats Tommy in straight sets. And again, Tommy knocked out by Vandesenskulp, knocked out by Rusevori. You know, in a vacuum, neither of those losses are that particularly poor on an indoor hard court. Rusevori in particular has the power to be that sort of disruptor. But given how well Tommy had played throughout the summer, given what Francis had done at the U.S. Open, you really hope this team could at the very least make the quarterfinals. And yeah, this is a disastrous result to not have this group in the quarterfinal, final group play. You look at those final eight teams. And again, great weekend for Rusevori. Great weekend for Borna Goyo, who gets wins over Tiafo, gets a win over Rusevori as well before he was ultimately knocked out in that match. Uh, or excuse me, gets a win over Greekspor before ultimately getting knocked out by Rusevori in their match against Finland. It is fascinating. Look at these final eight teams. Where is the star power for this Davis Cup event? Well, you know, Italy could bring on Sinner. Canada, maybe Shapovalov. Well, not Shapovalov, but maybe a healthy Felix sneaks his way into the mix. Brits are going to bring Murray, Nori, Evans, Skupski, Draper. It's a very fun group. I always love watching the Aussies in Davis Cup. Brings out a particular fire in Demon Hour. You know, there's some history there, but... Is, are there are no top 20 players on either uh, I guess excuse me Alex Demonauer top t- uh, number 12 so there is a top 20 player for Australia not for GB um Czech Republic it's been a great year for Lehechka for him to get his country to the quarterfinals of Davis Cup is a massive accomplishment but like you know again no top 20 players I believe for the Czech Republic right now obviously you have Serbia Djokovic that's huge I love Rusevori I love Greek Spur and Van de Djokovic is the star power. And that's kind of a disaster for the Davis Cup. Because again, 
who's going to draw out fans of these countries in Spain? It would be one thing if Australia was playing in Australia, GB and GB, the Czech Republic and the Czech Republic, you know, Canada in Canada, then it doesn't matter because then you could generate home crowds. And throughout the course of the decades, that's what made Davis Cup so special. The idea of bringing everyone together in one final city is that you would have all of this star power. And then not only do you have natives of those countries who are currently living in whoever the host country is come out and support their home country, but then you have just tennis fans in general coming to watch these stars play. Right now, you don't necessarily have either of those things. And that's obviously an issue for Davis Cup moving forward. Again, there are a lot of big picture struggles. Now, they do have Djokovic, and there are a lot of fun countries, fun battles looming ahead. So we'll be locked in to Davis Cup. But the tennis we see on court, the atmosphere that the players are trying to generate doesn't always meet the crowd, doesn't meet the moment. And again, it just feels like we can do better moving forward. So those are my thoughts on Davis Cup. That's everything that happened at that event this past weekend. Last two things I want to talk about here on today's show. Let's go San Diego, and I suppose we're burying the lead here given the fact that that WTA San Diego 500 was the highest level event on the calendar last week points-wise. It was a massive week for Barbara Krachikova and for a Krachikova who had really, really struggled since the Middle East February Marchish stretch of the season. You look for Krachikova coming into the week 34 and 17 overall. That's fine, but she had lost five of her last six, you know, since uh, making that final in Birmingham and after winning the title in Dubai, didn't make a quarterfinal between Dubai and that Birmingham final run. Obviously, first round loss at the U.S. Open, second round loss Wimbledon, first round loss Roland Garros, not something a Grand Slam champion expects in her season. Excuse me, Krachikova was. It was 24, uh, 25 and 16 coming into the week, but perhaps most pressingly, you know, she still had massive points to defend given the fact that she won a title in Tallinn. She won a 500-level title in Ostrava to end last season. You know, she was on falling out of the top 20, falling out of top 25 watch, and now by winning this 500-level event, she's back up to number 10 in the live rankings. And, you know, I thought it a pretty tough draw to knock out the always tricky Haddad Maya straight sets in the quarters to knock out a very much informed Danielle Collins, who was up a set and a break, 6-3, 1-love before Krechikova sort of methodically began working her way back in, ultimately 7-5, 6-2. She takes those final two sets then, you know, 6-4, win over Kennan in the final, who we'll talk about in a moment. It just felt like the length of ground stroke was back for Krachikova. Her ability to extend both Collins and Kennan into the outer third because, look, both Collins and Kennan, when they're on, when their feet are set, when they're the ones dictating, they are brutally effective from the baseline. And Krachikova was the more fluid player in the corners than either of those two. Her ability to track down a forehand cross and, you know, again, extend in particular, Kennan into the outer third. I thought for Collins, she just kind of ran out of gas in the third set. Sonia Kennan was hitting her spots. Sonia Kennan played fantastic tennis throughout the course of the week in San Diego. And look for Kennan, it was her first final since that French Open final back in 2020 with this result. Kennan back up to number 53 in the rankings, wins over Kudermatova, Valinets, Potapova, and Navarro throughout the course of the week. She's moving better, 
the the serve is at least five miles per hour faster than it was even I thought during her Wimbledon run. Obviously, she's moving better because she has hard courts back under her. I still think she's a half step away from where she was in 2020, 2020, uh, in 2019, 2020 before she got injured. But when Sonia Kennan gets her ball, hands on the ball, magic happens. Just that ability to change direction on a whim, the drop shots, the slices, the lobs, the willingness to move forward and hit a swinging volley to beat you to the spot. She threw the kitchen sink at Krejcikova, and yet the physicality of Krejcikova shined through. You know, again, they were trading breaks in that final. I believe Krejcikova ultimately uh, had 12 breakpoint chances, breaks four times. You look uh, on the other side of things. Kennan, I believe, what, uh, four breaks for her. She had eight breakpoint chances, a lot of breaks early in the match as well. Kennan was up a break repeatedly in that first set, sort of let it get away from her, but I think a lot of that had to do with, again, Krejcikova just... You know, center third on the return, but with depth and pace, and then first ball to the outer third. It was very simple patterns to get Kennan stretched. Move forward whenever you can. You know, whenever Kennan threw up the bump lobs, I think Krechikova hits her overhead about as definitively as anyone in the women's game. And by the way, it was another Krechikova sweep as she and Katarina Sinyakova take the title in San Diego. It was exactly the sort of weekend to just steady things for the 27-year-old and to get this title, to not have to worry so much about that looming title defense in Ostrava because you win a 500 here in San Diego. Now, I believe she is not playing Guadalajara this week, which is a little bit surprising given how many other top players in the world are absent from that event, but you still have the European indoor hardcourt stretch. You look for Krechikova right now in the points race. She is currently sitting at 12th. Yeah, and she's 800 points behind Jabur. That's going to be pretty tough, particularly given she's not playing Guadalajara. By the way, players in the top 15 of the points race playing Guadalajara. 8th place Jabur, ninth place Keys, 11th place Benchich, 13th place Ostapenko. None of the top seven. Mukova, Vondrusova, Pagula, Rabakina, Goff, Sviantek, Sabalenka. None of them are playing. Now, the top four, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Goff, Rabakina, they've already clinched their year-end final spot, but... There's a broader conversation to be had about the scheduling and, you know, again, trying to sneak Guadalajara in this week so close to the U.S. Open's ending, and yet we're headed back to Asia. We're headed into the European hardcore stretch. we got to figure some things out, don't we, moving forward to decongest this portion of the schedule. Nevertheless, again, really fun week in San Diego. You had the Coco Vandaway playing her final event run. She makes the final in doubles before getting knocked out by Krejcikova and Sinyakova. You had biggest semifinal in the career of Emma Navarro, who continues her breakout season. The 22-year-old up to a new career high, number 49 in the live rankings. She gets a 7-6 in the third win over Sakari. She gets a little revenge over Sasnovich, who overcame a five-love deficit in the third to beat Navarro in Cleveland a few weeks ago. Look, Navarro did well against Kennan holding her ground. She started swinging much more aggressively on her backhand. And I do wonder, looking back at the film of that, is that something for Navarro, knowing she has that gear to her? You know, there are times when Navarro can be a little bit passive on court, let the game come to her instead of going out and dictating and dominating with her serve, with her forehand, as she is capable of doing. Again, she played two really physical matches against both Sakari and Kennan. Was it? She's a very fluid mover in the sense that she anticipates extraordinarily well, but 
the first step has gotten a lot better. I still think there's more ground to be gained there as she continues to get a little bit stronger. I mean, she's up to number 49 in the world. Her, Collins, Stearns, Sharif, four top 50 players in the women's game with college tennis ties right now. Three of them former NCAA singles champion. Again, for Navarro to come through qualifying, get a win over Sakari, be right there at the finish line with Kennan. Very good week for her. Good week for Danielle Collins as well. Match point blown against Elisa Mertens aside. You look at what she's done over her last couple of events. Quarterfinals Montreal. You know, yes, round of 32 lost to Iga in Cincinnati. Back-to-back weeks losses for Iga. Second round loss to Mertens, but now semifinal here. San Diego wins over Ostapenko. Caroline Garcia, she has righted the ship. Will keep herself in the top 40 to end the season with this sort of run. You know, again, those were the big highlights of championship weekend. I suppose looking at the rest of that San Diego draw, just to mention who were those quarterfinalists uh, throughout the course of the weekend, because I'm sure some of you are curious in San Diego quarterfinalists, Caroline Garcia. I mean, again, for Garcia, it's just been so start and stop, you know, a win over Sloan Stevens, three sets round number one before getting knocked out by Collins. You know, broken four times in that match. You look uh, for Haddad Maya. I think that's a fine result. Sakari, 7-6 in the third. That one's tricky considering what she had. That was, what, her second match, I believe, the event. Yeah, the first round win over Osorio, 7-6 in the third. She gets knocked out in the quarters. Big Guadalajara points for her to defend this week. Uh, then your other quarterfinalist, Anastasia Potapopo, who I think it was a winning week for, uh, given the fact she got a very impressive victory over Jabur in the round of 16. That's your San Diego roundup. Uh, Again, we'll be talking more about how the uh, Emma Navarro in particular uh, on that college show, the deciding uh, college focus show, the deciding point summer edition over on the Great Shot podcast feed. But so so with that in that spirit. I should say, leave all of this fumbling in West off. Welcome back to a new week. Uh, let's wrap up today's show by talking about the Carry Challenger because certainly there are a lot of college tennis results that we'll talk about more with Jay on that Great Shot podcast tomorrow, in particular Rinki Hijikata continuing his ascension up the rankings. Hijikata up to a new career high, number 72, as he reaches the finals in Carry. It's his second Challenger final of the year, but of course you build that on top of his U.S. Open fourth round appearance last week. Rinki Hijikata in a very good place. He captures the doubles title as well. And keep in mind, his season began with an Australian Open doubles title run. So a good week for Rinki Hijikata. Better week for our champion, 20-year-old Zachary Svida, who's now up to a new career high, number 168, as he reaches his second career challenger final and earns his first career challenger title, knocks out the top two seeds, Alex Mickelson and Hijikata, in his final two rounds. It was a 7-6-4-6-6-1 victory for the Svida man, who just has the physicality. I don't know how else to describe it. I think... He's a ball machine, and his ability to turn backhand line has gotten much better. He has gotten stronger. That first serve percentage, still struggling under 60% at times, but that's because I thought he was trying to crank things up throughout the course of the week, trying to generate a few more free points for himself, and I actually like seeing that tactical shift from him. He's always in the fight. And again, two hours, 44 minutes was that final. It was a much closer set than the 6-1 scoreline would indicate in that third. But Svida was fresher. You know, again, he's always willing to suffer. He's always willing to play that 15, 20-shot rally. He's gotten a little bit better moving forward. But 
you know, again, does most of his damage by getting outside the ball, by stretching you into the outer thirds, by forcing you into making an uncomfortable approach that he uses his speed to track down and just take advantage of the open space counterpunch from there. Again, Hitchikata had bigger weapons than him in the eye test. I'd take the Hitchikata serve forehand. Mickelson served forehand, and yet for the Svita man, was able to break Mickelson, I believe, six different times throughout the course of that match. You look for Mickelson. Uh, yeah, uh, Alex Mickelson in that match broken six times on 15 different breakpoint attempts. Very well done against the Mickelson, who's first serve. That ability to move forward behind that ball dictate. That's what he does so well. Same thing against Toby Samuel. Big serve, big forehand for the South Carolina All-American in the quarterfinals. Svita grinds. He just he knows how to be one shot better than his opponent. And, you know, for Svita now, qualifies in D.C., qualifies for the U.S. Open, wins a challenger title here as well. It's a good run for the young American here in this hardcourt final third stretch of the season. Again, up to a new career high, number 168. A job well done by him. For Alex Mickelson to make another challenger semifinal, I mean, keep in, uh, keep in mind for Mickelson, his first career challenger uh, quarterfinal came this year in Chicago back in July. Now, since then, he won that Chicago challenger title, finals in Newport, round of 16 Winston-Salem, wins a match at the U.S. Open, now semifinals in Cary. He's up to a new career high uh, here this week. I believe he's 108 in the live rankings right now. He's absolutely on top 100 watch to end the season. We'll talk more about Kipson, Hijikata, guys like Vivez, Samuel, etc. on that show with John J. Parsons. But again, great week for the Svita man. Great week for Ricky. He and Andrew Harris, the Australians, knocking out number two seeds Blumberg and Martinez in the final as well in doubles. Shout out to Samuel Thompson, the South Carolina pairing, making the semifinals of that event. That's everything from, again, what was a sneaky, fun weekend in the tennis world. Now, we got plenty more coverage coming up for you this week here at Cracked Rackets. ATP Tour returning to Asia, China specifically as well. WTA 1000 level action in Guadalajara. We're going to be playing Stock Up, Stock Down with Gil Gross, David Kane over on the Great Shot podcast feed. We're rocking and rolling, hoping to pick up that Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. So as always, make sure you like, rate, subscribe, review to all of our shows here at Cracked Rackets. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out, as well, to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super for producer Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.